Praise the Lord. Welcome to the official GVPC podcast. My name is Pastor Chris Keats. I am the pastor of Gila Valley Pentecostal Church in Safford, Arizona. We're so glad to have you here listening to this podcast. We pray that it richly blesses you. And God bless you.
think you're going to find this very fascinating. I'm going to mention again, I mentioned this the other day in church, <clears throat> the thing that got me really fascinated with the tabernacle was years ago when I was about eight or nine years old. But the Del Struble, who at one time, at one time been the um, uh, district secretary of the Western District of the United Pentecostal Church, and uh, would come and he would teach and he had this wonderful set of slides and I remember it was the most fascinating thing. The scripture tells us in Hebrews the 8th chapter and the 5th verse who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle for see saith he that thou make all things according to to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. Now, when we are introduced to the tabernacle in the wilderness, and today is going to be simply an introduction to what it was, basically the importance that it had, and the value that it is for us today. When we look at uh, the book of Exodus, which is where... The tabernacle was introduced to us in the scripture. You'll find that the first 19 chapters of Exodus basically are historical chapters. They're talking about the people of Israel and how that they uh, left, <clears throat> how that they left the land of Egypt, how they crossed the Red Sea, and all of the different things that, that they went through. And then it goes through that, and when it gets to chapter 20. Does anybody know what happens in chapter 20? It's the Ten Commandments that are put forth in the 20th chapter of the book of Exodus. And so the next four chapters are mainly what you would call legislative. And, and what we see being introduced here in the Word of God is the concept of the law. And there are three types of law. Anybody know what they are? Civil. Civil. These were three types of law that were in there. We understand there are some things that still apply to us today, of course, in the moral part. <clears throat> but uh, but this was the, the those four chapters were basically legislated, and then the remaining part, all the way through verse chapter thirty, something like that. Try to remember what it was. Thirty-eight. Exodus was the thirty-eight chapters, something like that. I just read Exodus. And then I went back and reread a lot of it, but I still have a terrible memory. Um, through the through that deals mostly with the tabernacle, the design of it, the building of the tabernacle, and so on. And uh, in Exodus twenty-five and and the twenty-fifth chapter, it begins to introduce the tabernacle to the people of Israel. They had not <clears throat> there had been a place undoubtedly a tent that was used as a meeting place and it was referred to as a tabernacle before that. Basically, tabernacle means tent. And, uh, but in this place, God told Moses and let them, Exodus 25 and 8, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show thee 
after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. Now, now here is something that we need to think about here. Why is this important? Why does it matter? Right. You know, I, I mean, this is the Old Testament. We look at it and say, well, it, it's, a, it, it's just the Old Testament. Uh, it, it's, it's not first name. And I hear that over and over from people. Well, that is just the Old Testament. The other extreme here is those people that get involved in what's called Hebrew roots, and that is heresy, simply heresy. And so it's a, per, it's a perversion of the value and the reason for the law and for the tabernacle. But why is it important to have an understanding of the, of the tabernacle? Why is it important? Why is the Old Testament important? Why do we even read the thing and so on? But the Bible says this in Galatians the third chapter and the 24th verse, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. Amen. I've said this over and over again. The only scriptures, the only Bible that the, that the, the writers of the New Testament, that the, that the apostles and the disciples and the early church had. The only Bible they had was what today we call the Torah and, and the Old Testament and so on. So they to, to begin to understand Christ, they had to understand the Scripture. To begin to understand what God wanted done, they had to understand the Scripture. Be, Jesus said this, uh, or, or Luke said this, in the 24th chapter and the 27th verse, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them. And when we talk about Moses, we're talking about the law, we're talking about the tabernacle, okay? Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures. This is after he has risen. This is before he has ascended. Jesus is talking to his people. Amen. Uh, he tells them in the 24th chapter, he explains to them that they need to go and preach of repentance and remission of sins. Uh, in his name was going to be preached uh, and so on. He said, expounded in them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Uh, why is the Old Testament? Why is the tabernacle important? Because Jesus uh, is all through it. I've said this many times before, but this is kind of the way the Bible works. The Old Testament says Jesus is coming. Amen. The Gospels say Jesus is here. And the rest of it says He's coming again. Right. right. Amen. Amen. Some folks say, well, <clears throat> it's just a shadow. No. But if you trace any shadow back to the, to the light that is making that shadow... You come to the reality of that shadow. Amen. If you see a shadow, you're in you're in your room, and you see a shadow on the wall. It's got a knife. You don't shoot the shadow. Oh, there he comes. That's not that's not somebody with my knife. That's a <laughs> that's my dad carrying a water bottle in his hand. But uh, you trace it back to the reality. Amen. That's what you do. And so when you trace the shadow of the tabernacle and, 
and you come to the reality of Christ and to His gospel. Amen. Here's something to think about. I think I mentioned this to, I think I might have mentioned Brother Nate today. Here's something interesting to think about. There are two chapters in the Bible that are devoted to the creation of the world. Now, there are references in different places, but there's two chapters Genesis 1, Genesis 2. They're devoted to the creation of the world. We're talking two chapters are devoted to the creation of all the cosmos, all the stars, all the universes. It's a big deal. And we make a big deal out of it. And we like to talk about all of that kind of stuff. Amen. It's a big deal. And, and all the animals and all the plants and the separation of the waters and uh, the firmaments and, and, uh, <coughs> and the, the land and the plants and the animals and, the, and humans and, and all of that explains all of that in pretty decent detail or, or somewhat detail. And then at the end of Genesis 2, you don't really hear much more about the creation because it's kind of like God says, look, I created the earth, you know. Accept that. It's the way it was. It's the way it did. I created the heavens and the earth. Now, we may have different theories about how long it took and all that kind of stuff, but that's all, that's all fine and good, and, and it doesn't make a whole lot of difference because it doesn't have a whole lot to do with your um, salvation. But, but two chapters. There we go. Boom. The, the earth has been created. So without form and void. Here we go. Two chapters. Amen. I've spent about as much time as I've been talking about it right now. I can read pretty fast. And so... No joke, I used to read 1,300 men, words a minute with 90% comprehension. I'm fast reader. It used to be now it's about 600 words. But anyways, so um, it's two chapters. But there are 13 chapters in Exodus, 13 chapters in Numbers, 18 chapters in Leviticus, two chapters in Deuteronomy, and four chapters in the New Testament book of Hebrews that are talking about devoted to the tabernacle. 50 chapters in all. So, I'm not saying that God didn't think creation was important. But it's kind of, just get over it, okay? But this is important. Because this is what is going to take you to Christ. This sort of thing. So, undoubtedly, God felt that it was important. So, this is why we're going to study. So, I'm going to tell you all something. The, the, the tabernacle is one of the richest, one of the richest uh, parts of the Bible. I mean, just fantastic. So, uh, what, and when we look through the Scriptures, we find that the concept of the tabernacle in the wilderness, and you're, some of you may, you, you saw this little video, and, and I, when we get done tonight, you're probably not going to know much more about the tabernacle than you saw right there. But the next few weeks, you're going to know a lot about tabernacle. <laughs> and uh, so, um, but, but what we're going to do tonight is we're just going to kind of get a little introduction into it. But the concept and the reason for the tabernacle was fellowship between God and man. It was a place where God and man came together. It was where communication with God could be. And this is a, a fascinating concept, especially... When you understand that that we we as humans are finite, that we're mortal, that we have no uh, when we when we it's so difficult for us to understand God, and God's ways are so far above our ways. 
God's ways are so far. His thoughts are above our thoughts. And, and the concepts and things of God, it's so hard for us to wrap our mind around it. One time, years ago, I was talking to my, my sister. And uh, I said, you know, if you had a telescope, that, and we were talking about whether or not the dinosaurs were there millions of years ago. I said, if the dinosaurs were there millions of years ago, and you had a telescope that could see from 20 million light years out there, or however many million light years out there, and it caught the light coming from the earth, you would look through the telescope and you would see the dinosaurs on earth. She says, I want to talk about that. It's kind of hard on my head. She says, it's too hard to understand. And it's, it's, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, never mind, we won't get into all the details of it because to be honest with you, it's very difficult for us to understand. If uh, there's some people that understand quantum physics and string theory, even here, I don't understand. Now, I'm not even asking, don't even, because you probably get, yeah, you don't know, you just think you do. Um, but uh, they understand quantum physics and string theory and all this kind of stuff. I have the foggiest idea what it is. It is completely foreign to me. It's like I've told people I can, I can speak all languages except for Greek. They're all Greek to me. So that's an old saying, never mind. Anyway, so the, it, some of this stuff is so hard for us to wrap our mind around. And the concepts of God and an eternal God without a beginning, without an end. A, a God that, that encompasses the universe. This massive universe with millions of galaxies in it. Is not, God is not in the universe. The universe is in God. Because he's omnipresent. A God that has all power in heaven, everywhere, and in earth. A God that's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He has all power. He's omniscient. It's hard for us to wrap our mind around that. Amen. Some of y'all think you know everything, but you don't. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So, but the only the thing about the tabernacle and throughout here was that God created. We were the apple of his eye. We were the apex of his creation. And God created us to have fellowship with him. And it started in the garden. Genesis 3 and 8 says, And they heard the voice of the Lord of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. Undoubtedly, the impression that we get here is that when Adam and Eve were in the garden, what a wonderful experience it would be that every day in the cool of the evening, God would come down. We understand that, that it, maybe he came as a theophany, as a temporary manifestation, because God is spirit. No man has seen God at any time. But we understand that God would come, whether it was the presence or the glory of God, and, and would talk to Adam and talk to Eve, and they would commune, and it was a beautiful time. You know how it feels uh, when we're in the spirit of the Lord and feel the power of God and how wonderful it is to feel that. What would it have been like to walk in the garden in the presence of the Lord like that? Like nothing you've ever seen before. Our walking in the Holy Ghost is closer to that than anything else that's ever happened. Do you know that? Amen. You know that when we're really in the Spirit, we're the closest that anyone has ever been to walking in the garden with Adam and Eve. Amen. Now that's something. That really is. So, um, they walked in the presence there. And so there was that fellowship. But because of sin, there was separation there. But God desired to have communion with his 
creation. And Adam and Eve were the entirety of humankind. And the presence of the Lord was in the garden. But we know that sin um, <coughs> separated mankind and God. Now, why does God want to have communion with mankind? Now, that's kind of a hard thing to figure. For one thing, the Bible says that God is love. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. His very nature is love. And sometimes we have a hard time wrapping our heads around that because God is also a God of judgment. But we know that He's a God of love. And ultimately, He wants to have communion. See, the Bible says that, that Adam was created in the image of God. And I don't believe that was only in the image, physical image of Jesus Christ, which I believe it was. Because the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the express image of God, the image of the invisible God. The Bible says that he was a lamb that was slain from the beginning, uh, from, the, from the foundation. And I believe that whenever God created man in the garden, that he looked forward, if you will, except I've always said that God is outside of time. He looked forward, if you will, and saw Jesus. Uh, and Adam was created in the image of Jesus because Jesus is the image. That's what the Bible says. Amen. Amen. I mean, you either believe the Bible or you don't believe the Bible. Amen. And so, so uh, we, we look at this and, and we find that that, that Adam was created like Jesus in a lot of ways. Not the sinless. He was innocent, but he wasn't sinless like Jesus was. There's a difference between that. Amen. But uh, but the, he was he was there, and he had the emotions, he had the feelings, he had the desire for love because he that came from God. So these things, our desire for companionship, comes from God because we're created in the image of God. Our desire to be with other people. Our desire to be have a spouse comes from God because He we are the bride of, of Christ. And so all of these things come from God. These attributes, these, these emotions, they come from God. And so God wanted to have communion with man. Sin broke it apart. Just like, just like terrible things in relationships can break marriages apart. Sin broke it apart. Amen. They cheated on God. Make it simple. Amen. So broke it apart. Amen. He kicked him out of the house. <laughs> and uh, so, but he still loved him. And throughout the years, and we're getting here, we're getting, we're moving along. I'm going to try to move along through here as quickly as possible. I can get to preaching if I'm not careful, but uh, through the years, he had communion with different ones. He had communion with Enoch, with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses, and so on. And uh, But at last he came to a point that he set up a plan for a dwelling place where uh, man and God could meet and his presence would be seen uh, and in the fellowship there. And that was the tabernacle. Now, there's something interesting about these things I'm going to talk about here. I'm going to talk about several things right now, but there's something interesting. When, when they dedicated the tabernacle, they built the tabernacle, and I'm going to go into all of that. I'm going to go into the construction of the tabernacle. I'm going to go into those coverings. Did you see those coverings? They're fascinating. Absolutely fascinating what they mean and stand for. And, uh, and, and those, those pieces of furniture, brazen labor, the brazen altar, it's, just, it's so rich. The Word of God is so rich. We're going to go into that. But, but when they finished the tabernacle, the Bible says, then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord. Exodus 40 and 34. 
filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent or the tabernacle of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord it was uh, filled the tabernacle. And so so where where this tabernacle was, in fact, the cloud would lift from that. And they would, where, when it stayed there, they would stay where they were. And then when it moved, they would follow. And we'll go into that. And so, very fascinating. So we first, we have the tabernacle, first of all. And then later on, and this is, and then I'm going to cover this. It went on, we'll be talking specifically about the tabernacle. But I want to give you an overview of how this all works. Later on, after, um, after they had settled in the land of Canaan, and it had become the land of Israel, <clears throat> and uh, and and the David came and he he spoke to Nathan, he spoke to the Lord. I, I want to build a, a house for you. I live in a house of cedar, and you live in a tent. and And I would imagine that by this time, what was left of the tent was in pretty rough shape. They fixed it. They had sewed it. They'd done everything that they could to keep it, but it took a lot of work to keep it up. I remember years ago, this is just a little aside, but I had some hip waders that I picked up in a pawn shop. And they were new in the box, but they had laid in the box for so many years, and, and they had been bent, and they had little white pressure cracks along the edges where they had been folded. And so I got this black stuff, and I was constantly fixing them. So I'd go duck hunting, and I'd fill another little leak of cold water. So I'd go in, and I'd fix that. After a while, it looked like a road map on my, on my waders. But this is the way. They were always sewing up curtains, and they were always sewing up things. And, and it was getting raggedy at the, uh, at the edges. And, and David said, I live in a house of cedar. I live in a pretty good house. It's a stick-built house. I live in a pretty good house, and, and you live in a tent. And God said, you're not the one. Uh, the Bible says that he called Solomon his son and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house unto the name of the Lord thy God. This is 1 Corinthians 22 and 6. And uh, it was in my mind to build a house unto the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly and hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build a house unto my name, because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to thee, who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies round about, for his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quietness unto Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of kingdom over Israel forever. Now here's something that you need to understand. You see the story here. The story basically is this. David wanted to build a house. God, can I build a house for you? Can I build a temple for you? God said, no. You've killed too many people. Amen. There's a lot of blood on your hand. You had to fight the wars. It was something you had to do. But that's, we're, we're just not going to go there. Solomon's going to take care of it. And so Solomon comes along. This house was built under the direction, the dictate, and the, the, the commission, if you will, of God. God gave Solomon the right to do that. The tabernacle was built under the commission and the de direction of God. Amen. And, uh, and you'll notice that both times, because God's hand was in that. Uh, the tabernacle in the wilderness, the temple of Solomon, that the Shekinah glory, if you will, of God was there at 
that place. First Kings 8 and 10 says, And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. And so we have, first of all, the tabernacle in the wilderness, and then we have Solomon's uh, temple, and then the people of Israel went crazy, if you will, and chased after all kinds of things, and Nebuchadnezzar came in, and he destroyed Solomon's temple. So time goes on. Years and years go on. They're in the... Um, in, in the captivity and uh, there's several people that got involved in the building of the wall and the tabernacle Zerubbabel was actually the man that built the, the or excuse me the temple and uh, and uh, Ezra was there Nebuchadnezzar was there to help build the wall and so on and so they they went back to Jerusalem under Cyrus the king and let me explain something here the this was also commissioned of God Zerubbabel's temple was commissioned of God. It was not like Solomon's temple. In fact, the old man that had seen Solomon's temple, and to me this is kind of one of these sad scriptures in the Bible. When they, set, when they built the temple, the, and this house was finished on the third day of the month, month Adar, sixth year of the reign of Darius the king, and the children of Israel, the priests, and the Levites and the rest of the children of captivity kept the dedication of this house of God with joy. Amen. God had God had intended for this to happen. I believe there's a kind of glory was there. It doesn't mention it there, but I believe it was. This had even been prophesied over 200 years before when God said, Cyrus, named him in Isaiah. This is one of the most fantastic prophecies. Name him. Said he's going to lay the foundation for the for the tabernacle. Like, Who's Cyrus? You'll find out. Amen. I, this, is, this is fantastic. And uh, But the interesting thing in the sad scripture was this, that right after that, and I don't have any in my notes, but right after that, the Bible says they began to cry out and worship the Lord and all that. But the old man that had seen the temple, Solomon's temple, began to mourn and weep. And you couldn't tell the difference between those crying and enjoying, right, and mourning. Kind of a sad situation. You had these and looked over and said, this just ain't like what we remember. It's interesting, I'll tell you something, a little, little lesson here. When you, when you take sojourns, when you take sojourns, things just aren't the same anymore. When, when Naomi went to Moab, she left her husband, and she left her two sons, and she came back penniless to Bethlehem. When, when the people of Israel because of their sin over and over and over again. If you read, if you read the scripture and you look at the last days of, 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 uh, of Judah, you look at the last days of Judah, the Judah, those kings were bad news, man. And, the, and, and, our, and at one point they said there was no remedy. It just got so bad. When you, when you do that, you come back, you build the temple again, but you've lost something. That's why it's so important just to stay in church. Amen. So, so they came back, and there was joy there. We don't see the Bible mention a physical uh, or a visible manifestation of God's presence, but but you know this Shekinah must have been there. The power of the Lord was there. The dedication, just like the dedication of the tabernacle and in Solomon's temple, it was destined. It was set up uh, by God. Uh, like I said, it's that same. If Cyrus, 
Isaiah 44, 28, if you want the scripture, He is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt build, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. And that's exactly what Cyrus did. It's just fascinating to read that. 200 years later, he did the, exactly what the scripture said in Isaiah 44. And so, here we go. We've got, the, we've got God walked with man in the garden. God communed with man at the, uh, at the, at the tabernacle of the wilderness. God was there in great glory um, at, at Solomon's temple. Zerubbabel's temple. They were praising in joy. And God commissioned building the temple. And then, there's a little change here. This is fascinating when you look at it. Because just about six years probably before, it actually started before that, but it was finished. About six years before Jesus was born. Probably about that. Um, about 10 B.C. Actually, Jesus was born around 4 B.C., not right on the, when they figured out. About 10 B.C. it was finished. And about 20 B.C., 20 to 12 B.C. it started. But Herod came in. Herod was a wicked and cruel man. He was not a godly man in any way, shape, or form. He was a vile, vile man. He was a cruel, wicked man. And uh, he came in, and we have no Bible history of this because it was during the 400 years of silence um, that was that was between Malachi and Matthew. We have no Bible history. We do have some history from Josephus who was a Jewish historian. And he talked about it. And, and I, I guess the uh, idea was that he wanted to be remembered for something great and wanted the people of Israel to remember him for something great because they weren't going to remember him for his kingship because he was a lousy king. And so he went in as a almost as a memorial to himself, and he rebuilt Zerubbabel's temple and built it um, much. It's a beautiful temple. Built it a, a beautiful temple. But here's something that is fascinating. There is no record, with one small exception that I can think of. And if there's something else, and I know that you'll talk about that Jesus. Uh, Jesus ministered in the at the at the temple in the courtyard of the temple. Jesus never went inside the temple. Jesus never went inside the temple. The only thing that I can think of where God spoke. Anybody know when God spoke in, the, in, in Herod's temple? No, not that. No, that's way, way before. When did God speak to someone in Herod's temple? Anybody know? It's an old man, yeah. No, and that. It's in the courtyard. No, what is Simeon? There's an old man, though. Who was a priest? Who God spoke to? Come on. Zacharias. Zacharias. John the Baptist's dad. Zacharias. He, he, God spoke to him while he was doing his service to the temple. God didn't speak in the, because of the temple. God spoke to Zacharias. You don't hear God speaking in the temple. In fact, what had happened by the time Jesus got there, the outer courtyard had turned into a major swap meet. Historians say that they were selling animals and selling souvenirs. They weren't just selling animals. This was everything going on. Amen. They were selling furniture, I don't know, souvenirs and, and, and knickknacks and all kinds of stuff in the courtyard of the temple. 
And uh, and so it had become it had become a what they what we used to call a bazaar, which is pretty bizarre. It had become a bazaar or a a swap meet, if you will. And it was uh, it was it was it was it had become a shame, an absolute shame, what the temple had become. It was it was ridiculous what had happened in the temple. It, you don't find the Shekinah glory of God in the temple. Let me tell you something that was not in the temple. Let me tell you something that was not in the temple. The Ark of the Covenant was not in Herod's temple. Another thing that's interesting, it wasn't in Zerubbabel's temple either. In fact, historians tell us that what they would do is there is a stone on the Temple Mount today that they call a foundation stone, or I'm trying to remember the name of that stone. And supposedly, the Ark of the Covenant sat on that stone. And in Zerubbabel's temple and in Herod's temple, they would, they would burn incense on that stone. Because the Ark of the Covenant was gone. Poor substitute. But they did what they could. But you didn't find the power of God in that place. In fact, Jesus brought judgment upon it. He said, he, he, he came in, and if you, if you find in uh, John the second chapter, he says, and the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he made a scourge of small cords, he did, I can see, yeah, I can just see it. Jesus is out there, walks up to one of them. Maybe walks up to one guy. You got some rope? Yeah, I want something that's stiff and, and kind of hard. Yeah, you see the stuff that's got got a little bit of edge to it. You know, there's some types of rope that, that are hard to the tough. I want that. Starts breaking. What you make it? You'll see. And uh after he had done that, yeah, the disciples said, What you doing, Jesus? I'm just fiddling around here. He made and and he scored to small cords. And he came in and he began to drive them out. Drive them out of the temple. He said in one place the Bible said it's written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. Amen. Overthrew the tables. The Bible says the disciples remember where it's written, the zeal of my house is eaten. You know, the thing is that by this time, see, here's, here's the interesting thing. There was the tabernacle the wilderness, there was Solomon's temple, and then there was the Romans' temple in Herod. They were transitory. Transition. Anyway, they were transitions. Because what was happening was the actual temple. This wasn't where God was dwelling anymore. Because the shadow was done. It was pointing right to the reality here. And I just love thinking about that. I think about, I think about when Jesus came on the earth. In fact, he said this. He said, he said, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. And they said, 46 years was this temple in building. And wilt thou rear it up in three days? But the Bible says he spake of the spake of the temple of his body. See, the glory of God had transitioned from the physical temple of block and stone to God 
who was in Christ. Scripture says this, And the Word was made flesh, John 1 and 14, and dwelt, and I've preached this more times than I can remember. If I had a dollar for every time I preached it, I could probably go to Copper Steer. Uh, maybe. I've preached it a lot of times. And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt, that word dwelt, means tented or tabernacle among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The reason that the temple no longer held the presence of God was because Christ had become the temple. Behold, a virgin, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a child and a son. And thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. To wit, that God was in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.19 Reconciling the world unto himself. Not imputing the trespasses of the demon that hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Colossians 1.19 For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Colossians 2.9 For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. 1 Timothy 3 and 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of God. God was manifesting flesh. Amen. 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 So the presence and the power, the Shekinah, the glory of God, transitioned from that temple. Amen. And the temple began to walk among men. Come on, The tabernacle of the wilderness. He, he, here's the thing. Here's what's fascinating about that. A temple was set in one place. Jesus was like the old tabernacle. Amen. He moved from place to place. Blessed all over now. Amen. That tent. But he walked in the presence of Jesus. Here's something though. And I'm going to close here in just a little bit. I'm going to work on it anyway. Every temple was temporary and pretty much short-lived. Some a few hundred years. Some just a short amount of time. The tabernacle wore out and it was replaced by Solomon's temple. Solomon's was destroyed when Nebuchadnezzar came. Some years later replaced by Zerubbabel's temple. Zerubbabel's temple was replaced by Herod's temple. And Herod's temple was destroyed in 70 AD by Titus. And Jesus was nailed to a cross. And the body of that temple was destroyed on the cross. You know that it was glorified and all. But now, now, where's the temple? 1 Corinthians 3.16 For ye know, know ye not that ye are that temple of God. Now that's exciting. The glory. Come on, think about it. The glory. This kind of glory. That was so great that they couldn't even walk in the house of God. This kind of glory that came down to Solomon's temple. This glory of God that when Jesus walked in the midst of people, they were healed and filled and changed. And He was the temple. And now ye are the temple. The same Spirit. The same power. The same glory. That's why when we walk into this church and the presence of God begins to move in the midst of its church, the Shekinah glory of God is glory. What agreement? 2 Corinthians 6 and 16. Hath the 
temple of God with idols. For ye are the temple of the living God. And God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God. They shall be my people. Colossians 1.27 To whom God would make known what is the riches of glory by of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. But even this temple won't last. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 and 1 For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle we're dissolved. We have a building of God. A house not made with hands. Eternal. Yes. In the heavens. Amen. Amen. That's an end of the sequence right there. Book I've been using to study. Work with this which has been fantastic. I've been doing a lot of different things. Studying different places but I've been using a lot. Brought an old song out and I went in and found it online. Just a couple of. Just a couple. I'm closing right now couple of stanzas from this song. Forever with the Lord. Amen. So let it be. Life from the dead is in that word. Tis immortality. And this last part. Here in the body pent. I'm, I'm stuck here. Absent from Him I roam. And this is the great part. Yet nightly I pitch my moving tent a day's march nearer home. Amen. One day we'll be with Him. One day we'll be with Him. Let's stand and worship the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. God, I love You, Lord. I love You, Lord. I worship You, Lord. I worship You, Lord. I worship You, Lord. I bless You, Lord. I bless You, Lord. I bless You, Lord. I bless You, Lord. 